Vice President, Wealth Management Financial Advisor. George began working in financial services at Newburgh Berman in 2007, soon after graduating from Fairmont State University. It was at this firm that he and his business partner, Mr. Steven Guggenheimer, began working together. He has developed great relationships with his clients and firmly committed to helping clients achieve their financial goals through team's beliefs and goal-based wealth management. George helps to maintain and deepen client relationships by focusing on cash flow requirements and portfolio updates. He is responsible for keeping clients' accounts in line with investment strategies and for trading portfolios. George currently resides in Stamford, Connecticut with his wife, Yana, and their children. He has served as a high school mentor for iMentor in the past and spent time serving on committees for the Little Lambs annual charity golf tournament. George has also fundraised for rare cancer research by supporting Cycle of Survival. He attends St. Peter's and St. Andrew Coptic Orthodox Church in Stamford, Connecticut. Please welcome Mr. George Zaki. Thanks, Talani, and thanks, Charles, for having me. Uh, and I, you know, I hope Charles mentioned that we do we do have a unique uh, connection that we both are alums of a, a little school in Fairmont, West Virginia, and we both happen to be from New York originally and, and stuck it out here. Uh, I hope that we don't have anyone who is shy in this era of Zoom. So uh, afterwards, please feel free to ask any questions. So I wanted to just, I thought it would be helpful to spend a little bit of time uh, discussing basics of investing in capital markets. Uh, and I don't want to go too basic because I don't want to bore anyone. But, um, you know, I want to talk a little bit about asset allocation, what those two words mean. I want to talk a little bit about uh, what is a stock, what is a bond, the two major asset classes within asset allocations. And uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, Talani uh, in her introduction mentioned that we focus a lot on goals-based wealth management. I'd like to talk a bit about why that's important. And a lot of that has to do with uh, behavioral financial uh, analytics and how we typically as humans tend to behave when we put money up at risk. So in terms of asset allocation, these are two words that many investors may have heard before uh, or beginners. And so uh, th this is important because when we have a pool of money, whether that's $1,000, 10000 100 or a million, when we begin to invest, it's important to know how we are going to invest that pool of money. Rather than going into a Robinhood app and saying, you know, I want to buy, I hope not, um, you know, with a significant portion, GameStop, or I want to buy stocks, or I want to buy my favorite uh, Peloton, right? Maybe I own a Peloton at home and I want to invest in that. That's all great. But what does it really mean that we're doing with the money? Stocks are one of the major asset classes that we talk about when we talk about investing in securities. Stocks are a percent ownership of a company. So to kind of boil it down to everyday 
scenarios. If I live in a neighborhood and a friend of mine wants to open up a pizzeria across the street, just because Alonzo and I were talking about New Haven pizza a few minutes ago, um, I can go to someone, a friend, and say, I would like to open this pizzeria. I need $100,000 to open it up. I have to buy the oven. I have to pay the landlord. So I can go and I can raise money from friends and family. And I can, in exchange for that money, I can promise them a percent ownership in my business. I'm essentially giving them a share of stock or two shares, depending on how I value that business and how much money I'm taking in and how much I'm willing to part with. And every company that trades in a stock market has a valuation and has a certain amount of shares that are out there for purchase. And so whether that's Apple or Microsoft or a smaller company like Peloton, they all have shares that are out there based on a certain valuation. So that's what a stock is. And as that company does better, that share price will increase over a period of time. And it's important to realize what that period of time is. If the period of time is a month or six months or a year, even if the company's doing well, it is fathomable that that share price might not move up. And that's because in the short run, the stock market is subject to volatility. And volatility is over the, always there. But when we stretch out that time period that we want to invest for, that time horizon from six months or a year to five years or 10 years, history has shown us that stocks increase over time and always tend to stay ahead of inflation. And so as the dollar weakens, stocks will stay ahead of that because companies have to grow faster than inflation in order to stay in business. So that's what a stock is. A bond or fixed income, as it's sometimes referred to when we talk about asset allocation, is a loan. So some, you know, Charles referenced that in a prior brunch and wealth, we, he talked about home ownership and how that creates wealth, generational wealth. So most folks in the country, when they go to buy a home, go to look for a mortgage. Most people don't have a hundred or a few hundred or millions of dollars laying around in cash to go buy a house. So we go to a bank and we take out a loan. The bank gives us money, we give it to the seller, and we pay monthly for usually 30 years. A bond is the same sort of idea, except you as an investor are behaving like the bank. And so I can take $10,000 of my money and I can loan it to Microsoft. Microsoft puts out a, a, a notice and says, we are willing to take on investors for you know bonds. We're looking for bondholders. For the next 10 years, we're going to pay 2% a year or 3% a year, whatever the number is. And that number moves based on the current investment environment, that coupon that they're willing to pay you. And so bonds are really comfortable. A lot, of, a lot of investors like bonds because it doesn't have that stock market volatility that goes like this. Bonds move in price, but they tend to move like this. The best way I can explain the difference between a stock and a bond in terms of how they behave is if, if anyone on this, on this Zoom call here can, can recall the first time they may have gone ice skating, or you may have seen this in a movie. 
usually they go to the center of the ice and they all, all the kids hold hands and they go all the way out to the boards and they all kind of skate in a circle. All right. The person who's the first or second kid in the center has it pretty easy. They're just going in a small circle. That's the bond. The person who's all the way out at the edge, they have a huge circle to make before they come around and they have more ice skating that they have to do more risk of falling. But as they go around the ice, they find that they start getting the hang of it. That's the time horizon. That's the stock all the way out on the edge. And the bond is towards the inside of the circle. Now bonds are very comforting and there's not much volatility and they're predictable. I put $10,000 in today. Somebody promises me they're going to give me 5% a year off of that $10,000. And in 10 years from now, they're going to give me back my $10,000. Sounds great. Except for the fact that the $10,000 I put in today probably won't be worth $10,000 in 10 years from now because of inflation. So, you know, it's the old story that the pizza slice cost, cost our parents 25 cents in the 60s. And today it costs $3. And that's inflation. And so bonds are predictable and they're comfortable, comforting, and they give a good amount of cash flow, but bonds don't stay ahead of inflation. It doesn't mean that they're bad. It just means that we have to know what we're buying between the two asset classes. Stocks have a purpose, bonds have a purpose. And oftentimes the right mix is the two of them together and it just depends on what percentage we invest in. That's your asset allocation. 60% in stocks, 40% in bonds might be my asset allocation. Charles might want 70% in stocks, 30% in bonds. When you work with a financial advisor at a financial services firm, their job is to help you come to a conclusion of what the right asset allocation is for you. The way that you can come to that conclusion is perhaps going by goals-based wealth management. Rather than saying, I have $100,000, I just want to invest. What is my goal? I want to buy a house in five years from now. I just want this money to pay for my kid's tuition in college. That's 18 years from now or 15 years from now. That's the time horizon. And that's how we come up with a plan. The second part is talking about staying the course and behavioral finance. So I'd like to share my screen here. And at times I'll be looking to the right. So forgive me. Um, I hope everybody can see this screen here. Okay. So I'm going to head over to this page. I mentioned that the stock market has volatility. And that kid who's over at the end of the ice skating line, he is he or she is moving around a lot around the ice. And that's the volatility. It's a little bit more risky than the bond. What this chart here shows is that over the last 41 years, it's a pretty long time, the S&P 500, which is how we sort of refer to the U.S. stock markets, the 500 largest stocks that are available and that are publicly traded. On average, in the middle of a year, the S&P 500 has declined at one point or another 14% on average throughout those years. That's a, that's a pretty big decline. You know, if we're starting with $100,000 
and you invest the day before the stock market starts to decline that year, that means on average, it's going to fall to $86,000. However, when we are patient and we stay the course and we don't invest emotionally, what this also says is that the average rate of return is over 10% a year. So if you invest and you stomach those 14% declines down, you're going to get 10% a year on average when you look at it for a wider period of time. So the red dots on this chart represent how far the S&P 500, the stock market dropped in that given year. And the blue bars or black bars here represent your total return that year. So that's why it's important to know exactly what we're investing in. If we find that we are quite emotional, you know, data suggests that it feels better uh, to not lose money than it does to make money. So think about that for a second. We feel it feels worse losing money than it does feel good making money. And so when we take this into account, you know, that's why I'm not much of a gambler. That's why I when you know, if I ever go to Vegas or Atlantic City, I'll pull out $20 just for fun. Because I know that I really hate losing money on for dumb reasons. And so I use that, that's my personal investor personality. I use that to build my personal asset allocation. So I know that I might get emotional in the short run if the stock market were to drop 20%. So what I do is I blend stocks and bonds for how I feel good. I feel good right around 70, 30, 70% in stocks, 30% in bonds. That way, if the market drops 10%, I'm probably only dropping six or 7%. I can withstand that. I, 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 can, I can feel good doing that. The next page I wanna show you is how important it is to be invested in stocks. We meant, I mentioned inflation. Um, it's, it's also important to earn a good rate of return. You know, the amount of money that we could talk, talk about building generational wealth, it does come through home ownership, but it also comes through capital markets. And so when we put money up for risk, it's important not only to risk it in the bond market and not only buy bonds that are paying two or 3% a year, because as you'll see here by the gray line, which is inflation. So inflation moves up, up and to the right. And then above that, we have bonds, United States Treasury bills, those, that's the yellow line. It just kind of stays, you know, constant with inflation. So what are we really doing? You're putting your money up at risk and all you're doing is at the end of the day, coming away with the same return of inflation. So the other lines represent, the top two lines represent US stocks, small, small, smaller companies and bigger companies. And you'll see how much wealth is created over a long period of time. So it's important to make sure you have some money in stocks, not necessarily for everyone. It is by a phase of what phase of life you're in, but it's important to have some representation there and to work with an advisor to figure out what's the right blend for you. Over here, we'll, it, we'll talk about the average investor in red. I mentioned how we can get emotional and behavioral investing. 
So the average investor in red earns about two or three percent a year when they invest. And that's because we like to buy high and sell low. But that doesn't make any sense. We put money to work when the market's going up and we tend to sell when things are really bad. We want to do the opposite. The name of the game is to buy low and sell high. So when you are working with an advisor, they help prevent you from selling at the wrong time and buying at the, at the wrong time. Although, as you'll see here, we can't really determine when is the exact right time to buy, but we can determine that we need to be in for a certain amount of time. As you go from left to right on this screen, you'll see a one-year return at the bottom, a five-year return, a 10-year return, and a 20-year return. The band of returns gets considerably more predictable as you go out to the right in a longer period of time. The black, the blue represents just being in stocks. The teal, I'll call it, represents just being in bonds. And the gray represents being 50-50, half in stocks, half in bonds. So, you know, these, I, I, I want to be conscious of, of our time here. I think I'm coming up to the end of my time. But I just want to ensure, I, I want to make sure that we're, we're sure of three things. Asset allocation, knowing what a stock and a bond is, and making sure that you have the right allocation. Being, being patient and, and making sure that we don't invest emotionally and make, if we need to, working with a professional. Happy to answer any questions afterwards. Thank you. Thank you, George. Talani? Thank you. Um, next, we'll be introducing Mr. Joe Ferrer. He is the author of modern day classic book, Mailbox Money, and the creator of Mailbox Money Enterprise. As a graduate of a former, line, former linebacker and a former linebacker at the University of Notre Dame, Joe now spends his time as a financial advisor tackling the client's insurance, investments, and retirement planning needs. A million dollar roundtable producer with 20 years of experience in financial service industry, Joe has numerous designations and has won a number of industry awards. He has served as a former president of the National Association of Financial Advisors of Central Florida. Joe is also a philanthropist and runs a micro-philanthropy organization that has members in 18 states. Joe also has a FinTech app in the works. During his journey to success, he has gained knowledge and collected wisdom from many of the greats and in in their respective industries. Joe has packed this information into a powerful brand that he is now sharing with the world. Thank you, Joe. How's everybody doing? Can you hear me okay? Okay, perfect, perfect, perfect. All right, so I, I have to always start my presentations out. Um, yes, I went to Notre Dame, played football there, and if my sons were here, they would make me tell you that I had the 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 Isaac Tom Brady and Drew Brees back when I was in in college. So I mean, I think that's worth something. You know what I mean? Two of the greats of all time. I mean, they were nobodies then, but they they've turned out to be to be really good really good football players. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, let me get this presentation going. Here we go. All right, hold on. I get. There we go. 
All right. So, um, as I mentioned, went to Notre Dame, um, played football there, had NFL aspirations. Uh, I was looking to, to get drafted, didn't get drafted, went um, to the CFL. And I was in the CFL, and, you know, I was strong and fast and thought the world of myself at the time. And the coach called me in the office, and I was, I was thinking, man, they're going to give me a pay raise already? I, I, I'm balling, you know? I was like, things are going to be good. He's like, unfortunately, um, 80 into American restrictions, um, we're going to have to let you go. And at this point, I'm like, wait a minute. I mean, just like that? Like, I got to just pack up? And it was like, yeah, we have a flight for you in the, in the morning. And uh, thank, thanks for your service. I was like, okay. You know, so my pride is hurt. I remember being in the airport, and, and Charles will know. I talked to uh, Eric Chappelle, and, um, a good friend of mine. And, and he went to Notre Dame as well. And he told me about the financial services industry and said, hey, you should, you should, you should come on board in this industry. He's like, you know, it's hard work, but you get paid what you're worth. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm down for that. You know, I've been in, I want to bet on myself. You know, if it's about me working hard, I says, absolutely, I can do that. So life got real. It got real, real, real quick. So now I'm in this career. And, you know, when I first started out in the business, kind of fumbled my way through the beginning years. You know, I was still trying to work on a couple of things and kind of half in the business, half halfway out. But I finally got to the point where I said, I got to take this thing serious. I got to take this thing serious. So I went back to my football mentality, you know, the training mentality of football. And, you know, for the next seven years, the process that I went through, the trials, the, the successes and failures, and I interviewed some of the most successful advisors and business people that I can find, and slowly there started to become this shift. Um, people started to notice, you know, I went from really just being, you know, a pretty average guy to at some point, you know, I was, I was up there and I'm in the top 5% of advisors worldwide at this point in time. And people would say, Joe, like, I've been hanging with you. Like, how did you do that? Like, tell me what, what's your secret? How did you do that? So there was a philosophy that I created. And I remember telling someone specifically what that philosophy was. And he was like, dude, he's like, you've got to tell people about that. And I'm like, I mean, this is just something that I do. And he's like, no, 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 people need to hear that. And I was like, well, I don't got time. I'm, I'm working. I'm growing my practice. And he was like, but think about the impact that you can make. And when I heard the word impact, I was like, all right, you got me. So um, at that point in time, what do most people do when they want to be able to, to tell the world about something? They, they put it in a book, right? So that's what I did with the first book of um, Mailbox Money. So what I'll do is I packaged this philosophy that I had in a very simple, easy story, and I'll give you a quick trailer of the book. The book basically starts out with a, a business, uh, a sales professional who's struggling. He knocks on the door of the most successful person they knows in the office, and a woman opens the door, and then she's, how can I help you? She said, he, he said, well, you're at the top of the list. I'm at the bottom. I want your lifestyle. You've got the cars, you're making the money. I see your numbers. I want to be just like you. She said, not a week goes by that one of you young salesmen don't come in here asking me what the key to my success is. He said, I'll do anything. Please tell me. She said, okay. She says, if you show up at this office for the next 60 days, don't tell anyone about our deal at 7.30 a.m. and work a full day, 
She said, I'll tell you the story. I'll tell you the secret. He said, well, me and my buddies, we got this, this thing that we do in the mornings. Can I come around 1030? Exactly, Tom. She, she shook her head and said, no, 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 no. And, and she was about to close the door. And he said, no, 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 please. I'll do it. Anything. I'll do it. So to make a long story short, two months goes by. She, he comes back. He says, I've done it. He said, I've learned so much. You've got to tell me, um, where do you buy your leads from? What do you say? And she said, buy my leads from? And what do I say? She says, if it was something I said, then everybody would say it. And he's like, but just tell me. And she says, okay, I'll tell you. She says, have you ever heard of the legend of the golden mailbox and mailbox money? He looks perplexed. He says, what are you talking about? This is me. I'm not your child. Like, I'm the salesman. Remember, you told me to come back 60 days. I've done it. He's like, tell me. And she says, I know who you are. She says, have you heard of the legend of the golden? He says, well, just tell me about it. She said, rather than me tell you about it, salesman, she says, I'm going to take you there. And she says, on this journey we're going to go on, we have to make four stops along the way. There's four disciplines that we have to learn before we get there. She said, pack your bag, salesman, and meet me at the airport at 7.30 a.m. Okay? So now I'm going to stop right there. I know that's a cliffhanger. I know some. I saw somebody put some microwave popcorn in the oven over there, and they, they were getting ready to um, to hear this story unfold. Um, but so... For, for, for time's sake, what I want to do is I want to focus on just one of those stops pretty quickly. Okay, I'm going to focus on one of those stops and how it could impact your business and in your life. Now, for sake of this, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to do something for me. I know this is going to be harmless. Everyone's at their home. I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes. It won't be more than 20 seconds, and I want you to listen to something. I'll tell you when to close your eyes. And you must tell me, when I come back, you'll see the same image again. Don't open your eyes. If you cheat, we're going to find you. Me and Charles, we're going to find you. All right? So just close your eyes for about 15, 20 seconds, and then just think about what you're hearing. All right, one, two, three. Um, Close your eyes and just listen. Okay. Let's stop. Now, um... I guess we all can't talk, but Talani, I'll say that, or Charles, what do you think that you guys heard? You're muted. Um, I just heard my own thoughts. I was listening for you to say something, but I... Oh, you couldn't hear the video. Mm-mm. Ah, you couldn't hear the video. Ah, okay, okay, okay. All right, let me show you the video, and you probably can't see it, but this is... Can you see this? But you can't hear it though. Okay, okay. Okay, so traditionally when people hear that, they think they don't see it. You're seeing it now, so everyone's cheating here, but they think it's raindrops. They think some people thought casinos, thunder, lightning, they don't know what it is. But the visual, obviously, you can see what that visual is. You see that money flowing through that, that, that door. Some of us know those mailboxes that looked like that back in the day. Now, when we think about that, right, and we think about that, mail, that, that, that money coming in that mailbox, um, I ask people typically, well, what do you feel when you see that, right? And people will say, <laughs> they were like, man, I hope it keeps coming. These are some of the, the, the comments that I get. You know, is it going to run out? 
I've had somebody say, yeah, baby. I've had someone else say, how can I get more of that? Someone else said, grab the bucket so we can keep on filling it up, right? Those are some thoughts that we get from people saying that. Now, let me go to the next. Okay, so what I want to be able to do is let you know this. Like you, you know, early on in, 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 in my business, I was like most of you. It's like, man, I like that money coming in through that mailbox. That is, how do, that is amazing. I love it. Keep it coming. It's a beautiful thing. But it wasn't until in that seven years that I realized I'm focusing on the wrong thing. It wasn't until I began to focus on what's on the other side of the door, right? My mentality initially was just about what's coming to me. But it wasn't until I thought, well, what's on the opposite side of the door? Who is putting that in there? What's happening to make that be able to happen is when I began to appreciate this side of it. I had to focus on the, the who and the what was happening. And I had to figure out what was going on there. And that allowed me to be able to understand what the real potential of what was actually coming in. And most people in life and in this business and many businesses, they're just really focusing on what they can see. But they forget to realize that there is a source of what they don't see and where it's coming from. And I like to use the analogy of a, of a paycheck. Most of us now, we get a paycheck, we wake up Friday, money's just in the account, great, money's in there, good, let me go do what I got to do. Back in the day, you used to have to get a check, you used to have to take the check to the bank, you used to have to do a lot of things. So people felt their money a lot more and they had a greater appreciation for it, whereas now it just comes and we don't really see it and it's just there. So we're losing touch with some of these things that we need to be close to. So when I began to think about the opposite side of this door, I'm going to go back to it. There became to create a vision of a line because that money is coming through that door. But there is not just is that one person doing that or is that multiple people that are being able to do that? And if it's multiple people that's doing it, there must be some line that they're standing in to be able to keep that money going in there. So I began to always think about this, 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 this vision of this line. And I began to think about who's on the opposite side of that. Is it my clients? So I'm in the business with renewals and recurring revenue. So I realized that there's multiple people in a line that are making deposits that I'm seeing as a part of my paycheck. Now, I just see money hit the bank account, but that's real people that are making up those contributions. So every time I would do something, a sale or any time, I would always think that's someone else in my line or that's another person making another deposit because you could have one person, but are, are they making one deposit or are they making multiple deposits? And when you start to think about people in your line, how can you service them, right? It's not just about selling. It's how can you service that person in that line to be able to, if they're standing in my line, they might as well make as many deposits in my line as possible at that point in time, right? And then you begin to think about life as well, because it's not just a, a money concept. Who is in your line from an emotional standpoint, right? And maybe it's not money coming in, but maybe it's love. 
And maybe it's, you know what, those are my kids or that's my spouse. And, and they are the one that is, they're in my line because they're giving me what I need. Are you giving them the attention and the focus that they need to be able to continue to do that? Because folks don't have to stay in your line, right? There's other people with other lines. Now, whether that be marriage, you know, whether that be, um, you know, with marriage, whether that be in business, people can leave the line and go elsewhere if they're not feeling like they're being um, treated properly. So that vision of that line, do you want that line to be bigger? Do you want that line to be able to be smaller and have a different focus? Is your line protected? You know, so when we're talking about insurance and things like that, you have all this money that you're making, but are you protecting that money properly, right? And that's where you have to be able to protect that line. So this philosophy allowed me to be able to look at money and relationships completely differently because I was playing the long game rather than um, the short game. All right. So um, that visualization was great. You know, and it took my career much further as, oh, wow, why is it doing that on the screen? All right, it took my career much, much further. Um, it took my career much further, but what pushed me over the top wasn't what you would think it was. It wasn't a sales training. It was me waking up at, at 6 a.m. one morning, and I basically made a commitment. I was at a, a men's, men's group, and I made a commitment to give. It was that morning where I made a commitment to give, and I mean really give, not just give because I had a few dollars left, you know, extra, but to really give a percentage of my income, and that's what I basically did, and that was the part where I followed up with the second book, and that was the next part of my road um, towards growth, and I know some people may think, well, that's kind of counterintuitive, Joe. I'm trying to make money. I don't really have time to really give it right now. Um, you know, stay with me, right? Stay with me. But that commitment to be able to give allowed me to know that there was more to do. And it wasn't just about making money, but there was more impact that needed to be done, right? So initially, when it came to giving, um, I gave traditionally, right? Just like most people. I gave to my church, you know, gave to your big organizations. Um, and that's kind of just what I did, you know? And even though there was something inside of me that always wanted to do like the random acts of kindness, I saw like the spontaneous giving, it just wasn't something that I, I really had the time to do. So I just kind of gave um, traditional. So I always kind of talked about doing fun things, but never did. But on my 40th birthday, I'm 43 now, on my 40th birthday, I said enough is enough. I basically woke up on that day, woke the kids up, the wife. I said, we're going to do it today. So we did 40 acts of uh, random acts of kindness for 40 different people um, on that day. I mean, it was amazing um, the impact in the day that we in the day that we had on that particular day. I mean, we, we were with the cops. We paid light bills, electric bills, food, coin laundry, you know, paid for car washes where kids were. I mean, we just did a ton of a ton of things on that day and it was amazing. And to me, the day was over. I thought, okay, you know, it was a good day. This was something I wanted to do. Checkbox, it's over, right? But what, what, what ended up happening is afterwards, 
so many people were calling me and they were saying, because I filmed it on social media that day. It was like every stop I was showing people. So they were like with me on the journey. They said, Joe, you don't know what you did for me that day. They said, if you can, um, when you do this again, you know, I want to be able to help, you know? And I'm like, well, I'm not going to turn 40 again. I'm not Benjamin Button. You know what I mean? I was like, but I, I appreciate it. But as the calls kept coming in, I started to think, wait a minute, wait a minute. I was like, all right, people, one, like to be able to watch this type of giving, the spontaneous type of giving. And two, people wanted to be able to give and they wanted to be able to help and do something. And then I realized people were just like me. They wanted to do this, but they never had the time to be able to do it. So that's where the Mailbox Money Community Foundation was essentially created at that point in time. All right. So what we did is we realized that there was a void in the marketplace at that point in time. So what we did is we created a community, right? A true nonprofit organization. And it's a community of regular people, just like everyone on this call that believes in the premise. You don't have to be rich to give that everybody can be a giver. So we created a platform where it's $10 and 47 cents every single month where people give on a monthly basis and make a commitment to giving. Just as I did, I'm, we're creating a way where people can make a commitment to giving and we use all those dollars that people commit to giving and we do random acts of kindness, okay? We do them all over the place. We have members in 18 different states. You know, we go pay for auto parts. We went to American Doll and we bought everyone in the store um, all their dolls. And these dolls were like $150 dolls. I was like, what? And there was one lady in there and she, she was crying. And she says, you must have known. And I was like, must have known what? And she says, our daughter, Malia was her name, is going to have a procedure done at Boston Hospital. And this is in Florida. And this is something she's always wanted to do. And she literally looked at me and said, are you guys angels? And it wasn't like a joke. And, and it was, and I said, no, you just happened to be here, but it's for you. And it was so touching that, that this selfless kind of giving that we do, you know, we're going to graduation. Um, we're going to just give random people $500 graduates as they come out. We're going at today to give away another 700. So we, we just make giving fun, simple, and easy, and we film it, we show it, so people can feel that they are part of it, that they are part of this, this, this huge growing community. Um, and every time that we do some type of giving, you see this golden envelope, we basically give a golden envelope that talks about who we are, what we're doing, so they realize that this is an intentional thing. Right. Sometimes when people give, it's like, oh, yeah, I got a few extra dollars. So here you go. That's not really intentional. You just happen to have it at the time. Intentional means where we have envelopes with the intention of being able to do these, this type of giving. So the intentionality is huge with us where our members can also buy envelopes and do their own giving in their own way, because we want this envelope to be just a sign that we can quantify of of random acts of kindness that were done, actually done um, by somebody, right? So I just want to say thank you guys. Giving on my own when I was giving, you know, brought me 
a lot of satisfaction, but giving with a community of other people that have never really given before, that's really been the most fulfilling thing that I've done. You know, and I've got the house and the cars and that, that, that stuff is not what it's about. It's about inspiring people to be able to give and seeing people come together to be able to give as a community. So just like I understood what was on the opposite side of that door, right, when it comes to the line, I understand the same thing with this. Just imagine if we can get a, 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 a there's a, a hundred million people that subscribe to Netflix. Just imagine if we could get a piece of that, of people that rather than committing to getting stuff, they made a commitment to give and they did it with a bunch of other regular people just like themselves and just think of the impact that we can have. But one thing I'll tell you is it sounds real good and it sounds real easy. Oh man, that's great. 10 bucks. It's nothing, but you just got to do it. Talk is cheap. You just, if you believe it, you just got to do it. Because just like I waited all that time before I did the random acts of kindness myself, people will, oh yeah, that's a great concept, but they don't come around to doing it as often as they should. So liking it and all that is one thing, but we're kind of, we're kind of hitting people and saying, hey, join us. You know what I mean? If you like it, it here's an affordable way to be able to do it. So I'll just kind of give everyone the challenge. If you feel like you don't have to be rich to give, you know, join us in this movement towards a kinder and better world. But thank you guys so much for having me. I'll be able to answer any questions. I don't know what all those blue lines are um, that are on there. And that's the force of, of, of evil trying to work against this kindness. But uh, <laughs> that's, that's what I was about to say. The devil jumped in there. Hey, he tried, but we, we're good. The Lord, the Lord is on our side. You know, the Lord is on our side. So um, any questions about, you know, my journey and the business or the foundation? I'm I'm open to uh, to any questions. All right, thank you, thank you very much, uh, uh, Joe. That was uh, that was great. And George, so what we'll do? You can stop sharing your screen now, and we'll open it up. Uh, we'll open it up. You can unmute yourself if you have uh, any questions uh, for our two speakers, and then we'll go into the uh, to the to the to the to the closing remarks. Hi, it's Falco. Hi, folks. Hey, how you doing? I have a question for um, the non-for-profit area, and I do like the um, the giving concept because a lot of people, you know, tend to make um, a lot of money, but they don't give back. Correct. Um, the the cons uh, the to start the non-for-profit organization. Did you like? you know, um, work with your accountant and, yeah. and start the foundation? Yes. So real quick, just to, to say it, if anyone is interested, it is globalmailboxmoney.com, and that's where you can go to join and be a part of it, globalmailboxmoney.com. Okay. And then, yes, it's a process. You have to – it's going to cost you maybe 2500 to $3,000 to you know at a decent price to be able to do it you know and there's articles of incorporation bylaws there's a lot of work in in running a nonprofit that i i didn't even understand you have to have a board you have to meet you're asking people to do things and it, it's a lot of work and there's so many people that start nonprofits and they do nothing with them because they require so much work 
just think about all the people that you probably know right around you and they'll be like, oh, I've got a nonprofit. But you ask them, hey, when was the last time that, that you did something with that nonprofit? It's a lot of work. So we try to be kind of a liaison for some of those businesses to say, look, if you have an idea or concept, we give to unsuspecting people in many different ways. So we're like, if you want to give to kids, let, let us do it for you because all you're looking for really is a tax deduction. You can give it to us, get your tax deduction, and we'll run something that speaks to the interest that you guys want to be able to do. So that's kind of what we've done to, to alleviate um, some small businesses from having to really go out and do their own nonprofit because it's much more work than you would think. Oh, I have this nonprofit. I'm going to get the salary. I'm gonna, Heck no. It don't work like that. That's just movie talk. Okay, you're going to spend a whole bunch of money and it's going to be a labor of love um, of you doing that. And if you're not really ready for that financially and time commitment wise, don't even think about it. Go find a, another organization that is doing it and you can partner up with them and volunteer and, and, and do that there. Hopefully I answered. I think I hopefully that was. Yeah, you did. Yes, okay. you did. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Any other question? I have I have a question I have a question for George. George, you still there? I'm here. Yeah, I don't know if you can. I was always uh, everyone asks me. I don't know how or with that with that Reddick situation. That how did you know how did the, these group of, of guys were able to pull their funds together? Um, because in the stock market, they they actually pulled their funds together to actually. Uh, to to purchase stocks and bonds, so I don't know if you want to touch on how that on how that transpired. I get a lot of questions and I, I can't answer those, so I was wondering if you had any 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 insight on that insight on that. Yeah, so the you know I, I kind of um, I alluded to that and, and hope that people didn't invest in it uh, not in a pejorative way, but more so in a a, a risk reward um, manner. Uh, what what happened with the Reddit phenomenon, uh, mostly tied to GameStop, there were a few other stocks involved, uh, AMC theaters, Nokia, it was hard to track at, at one point that there, there were so many of them. Um, it, it's, it, it was phenomenal. I mean, really interesting. And at the end of the day, it was probably nothing, um, you know, it was probably nothing different from what happens on the other side of the trade. Usually you'll get big institutional like investors. We refer to them sometimes commonly as hedge funds will do the same kind of damage to other investors. Um, when they put a lot of weight and money behind a singular idea, and maybe they'll call up, another hedge fund and say, hey, this is what we're thinking of doing. If you agree, then we'll do it. Um, and so what you ended up ha having was a lot of s the small guys. Um, and they weren't necessarily putting their money together. They were doing it all individually on their Fidelity or Schwab or Robinhood apps, wherever they trade. And they were using Reddit as a platform to communicate as an open end platform. And so what that does is it's an unlimited form of communication. And as the, that chat group 
got larger and larger, even though it's small bits of money here and there and there. And you got a couple of big investors who put millions of dollars into the idea. And then ultimately, you probably had hedge funds joining in on it. Uh, and so it really was in an earth shattering way, moved uh, GameStop's stock so much that um, it, it kind of broke the stock market uh, momentarily for that specific stock. Um, when that happens, we, we it, a stock gets halted and um, the, the market kind of takes a breather for 15 or 20 minutes before they allow trading to happen again. Uh, I think it'll probably end up happening again. And, um, you know, there's opportunities for folks who want to allocate a certain amount of money into trading and being more aggressive. Um, that's not goals based wealth management. That's trading and, and having and gambling. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you're allocating funds to. So that, that that's what ha that's what 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 happened there. I hope you know I answered. You're muted, Charles. Thank you. Thank you for that. Any any other questions? Yeah, um, George. Actually, I have a question, um, and I I think I can speak to this um, on on terms of. Um, a lot of my team members face this question often with uh, a lot of our clients, um, and it's 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 kind of hard to to put simply. Um, but can you speak to the difference of uh, an investor who would invest in like Robinhood or their own eTrader Fidelity account versus an investor who would invest with a financial advisor or a stockbroker? Sure. So. Uh... You know, Robinhood, Fidelity, uh, stereotypically, uh, are what we would refer to as self-directed uh, ways of investing. Uh, they do have guidance um, that they can offer. It's typically not going to be quite personalized and not granular down to um, your lifestyle uh, and, 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 you know, your goals. Working with an advisor, and, and there's nothing wrong with that either. Um, you know, it, 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 it serves a purpose. You know, sometimes, you know, if, if you're saying I'm going to take $1,000 and I'm going to, I really want to just educate myself. Well, the best way to do that is probably to open a Robinhood account or a, uh, you know, E-Trade account and really try to learn the ropes, knowing full well that you might lose your money, uh, but it, it's going to serve a, a purpose. Uh, but once you really start to save and, and try to invest and grow your assets over a period of time, I would highly recommend working with an advisor. Most investors typically think that they're too small to work with an invest with an advisor. We've found that you know we've uncovered ten million dollar accounts of folks who think that their account was too small to work with an advisor. It's 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 astonishing. Um, and, and that goes up and down the spectrum. If you have 50000 or $25,000 or $100,000, there probably is an advisor out there that you're connected to somehow that will fit, that has a model that fits what you need. And um, if, if you don't know how to find them, I would recommend going to maybe smartasset.com and they can they can find, uh, they can lead you to the right types of advisors. But also, if you're on this call, reach out to one of the advisors and say, hey, this is how much I have. Is this, does this 
is this in your wheelhouse? Uh, and and usually, you know, there's someone out there. And for me, if I find someone that it's not the right fit, I'll make a referral out to um, someplace that is, if it's E-Trade or another type of investment management firm. And, 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 yeah. Joe, and Joe, I have a question for you, Joe. I know you shared the fifth principle, the secret for business success, but I don't know if you would mind. We have uh, two minutes if you just want <clears> to <throat> run down the other four principles of of, 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 of secrets for, for, for business? Yeah, I mean, the first is staying close to the process, uh, visualization, um, transformation, and then applied information. You know, those are, those are the four disciplines. And then the fifth one is, is finding your purpose and uh, giving back. You know, so a lot of people focus on um, the making the money, which is great. We all want to make it. But, you know, I think where this concept goes into is, all right, well, what do you do once you get there, you know? Um, so you've got to understand that once you make it, what, are the, what, what mentality do you need to have? And when you find these billionaires giving away, you know, 90% of their net worth, uh, it's not because it's, it feel, it's because they've, they've figured something out. Um, so what this does with this micro-philanthropy movement is it kind of allows people to kind of be micro-philanthropists on a smaller level that hopefully pushes them to do bigger and more things um, in their in their local communities as well. Okay, great. Yeah, you're talking about the with the with the billionaire like Bezos and Gates. I'm like, oh, yeah. billionaires going through going through divorces now. I don't know how that's gonna how that's gonna affect the the market as they probably gonna start dumping shares now and and all kind of things here. But I definitely want to thank you. I want to wrap up here. I want to thank George. Hey, uh, hey Charles. Yes. Before you go, okay. I have a question for Bill. Yes, sir. Did you play with my boy Jeff Kilberg at Notre Dame? Did you overlap yeah. here with Kilberg? Yeah, yeah, I know Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ask him about me. He's a good guy. Jeff is a great guy. He tells me all the time that he played in the game of the century. You're too, you're too young for that one. Yeah, <laughs> so much. He played in the game of the century. Yeah, that was a good one. All right. Yeah. All right, great. So I definitely want to thank George Zaki. I want to thank Joe Ferrer. I want to thank you guys. It's always uh, always a pleasure. <clears throat> you know, you gave us some really some really good some good good nuggets. I know Joe with the with the give back to the community. I actually joined uh, Joe's Friday because that's always one thing. Where who who do you give to? I want to do help the community somehow, <clears throat> right? And it's always good that and the random acts of kindness. So I think that's uh that's 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 very big. And then when George talks about the asset allocation, be patient, <clears throat> and also um, you know don't don't get into the market emotional because it's going to go up, it's going to go down. You have to really be you have to really be uh, be be patient. All right. So I just want to remind everyone we're going to have a, a, a free book drawing that's going to be held on uh, on Monday. <clears throat> so we have a, a joke. Joe's books that we're going to be uh, giving away <clears throat> and I just want to close I want to wish everyone a, a happy Mother's Day weekend and uh, I really appreciate uh, thank you for coming and uh, hopefully stay <clears throat> I'm going to thank everyone for attending and I want you all to uh, to continue to be safe and you can reach out to uh, reach out to to me anyone on, on my team if you want any additional information uh, uh, from us but thank you everyone and uh, have, a, have a have a really great weekend we appreciate it thank you so much. Yeah. All right. <clears throat>